Hello friends, Sanjay Prajapati here. I want to thank you for joining me once again at Destin Fatora. I really do appreciate it. I pray that you will be transformed through the light of Christ in this prophetic impartation. Merry Christmas. May your hearts rejoice in the greatest gift of all during this Christmas season as we celebrate and experience the birth of Jesus, our King, our Lord, and our Savior. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And I invite you to join me for Let There Be Light in Your Ark today. You are called to experience the light of Christ in your ark, and Jesus is the living ark, and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? And again in 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God? You are not your own. And 2 Corinthians 6.16 tells us, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and move among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The Holy Spirit indwells every believer, and we have just concluded a 12-week series in the book of Genesis called Let There Be Light. I am now starting a new 11-week series on the book of Exodus called Let There Be Light in the Ark. This teaching is part 1 of 11 in the Let There Be Light in the Ark series, and I invite you to come experience the book of Exodus through the lens of the light. The Lord is calling you to connect with Him in a deep and powerful way through the light, especially during this Christmas season. Jesus was placed in a type of ark. Luke 2.12 tells us, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Moses was placed in a type of ark. Exodus 2.3 tells us, And when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds at the river's brink. Noah and his family were placed in the ark. Genesis 7.1 Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have, not, for I have seen that you are a righteous before me in this generation. And the Lord is calling you to experience light in your ark. This was God's plan from the onset of the creation from Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to experience the light in your ark.
I hope you enjoyed that promo video. Don't forget to like, share, comment to show your support. And I really do appreciate all your support. And let's go ahead and get started in Let There Be Light in the Ark. The second book of the Bible is Exodus. That's the Greek name. The Hebrew name for the book is Shemot. The word Exodus is, is a Greek word meaning departure. And it refers to the Jewish people's departure from their slavery in the land of Egypt. The Hebrew name of the book, the name that Moses or Moshe gave the book, is the name Shemot. And the word Shemot means names. And whereas, so Moses emphasizes names, he, he emphasizes destiny. Whereas the Greek name of the book, the Greek name of the second book of the Bible emphasizes the exodus, the, the departure from Egypt. Shemot is also the name of the first Torah portion in the book of Shemot. And I'll use the names Shemot and Exodus interchangeably throughout this teaching today. And Parsha Shemot, which is the first Torah portion of Shemot, consists of Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through chapter 6, verse 1. And the name is taken from the very first word of Exodus chapter, from the very first verse in Exodus chapter 1. Verse 1, and it reads, These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. And you see the very, the one, two, three, the fourth word is the word names, and the, and the word shamot or names is being emphasized. And the theme of this entire Torah portion, the theme of this entire book is names. And we're going to talk about names in just a moment. In Hebrew, the word name is not a label. Rather, the word name really connotates one's potential and one's destiny. So, you know, we, we name objects like chairs, like tables, like computers, because they really, they're really labels for those objects. But the Hebrew, in Hebrew, a name is not just a label. The name is a concept, and the name identifies one's potential in God, one's potential in life, and it denotes one's destiny. And the book of Shemot, or the book of Exodus, is the book of actualizing your highest potential in Christ Jesus. And when the word names is emphasized in Exodus 1.1, the Lord is emphasizing the purpose of every Jew's identity as an individual, as well as the identity of the Jewish people. I hope that makes sense. And so that's why Moses opens this book with destiny, with purpose in mind. He's not emphasizing the slavery, even though he does acknowledge the slavery and the cruel subject, subjugation of the Jewish people, which you, you will see in the subsequent verses of chapter 1. But that's not the highest level. The highest level is the names. And the entire book of Exodus is a book about your name and about you achieving your highest potential in God. And the Jews had spent hundreds of years in exile, and there is purpose in exile. And I, I, in, I believe that even COVID-19 and all its variants are a type of exile in our lives today. Because what took place when COVID-19 hit, 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 hit us, all of a sudden, all travel was shut down. Going to the office, for the most part, was shut down, except for essential workers. And, and we are, even today, we are living in a type of exile. But I want you to know that there is purpose in every exile. And the key to discovering who you are in Christ Jesus is through the process of exile. And it's through the difficult times in life that you really find out what you're made of. 
Exile represents the painful experiences of your lives. In exile, a person learns that he or she cannot take life for granted. It's in the fiery furnace of exile that you will discover what you are made of. In exile, you must arise, you must choose to arise to the challenge and choose not to give into the exile, but rather choose to overcome. And the Egyptian exile was both a physical exile as well as a spiritual exile. And even COVID-19 for many of us has been both a spiritual and physical exile. Physical in terms of being locked into your homes. Spiritual in the sense of that you, 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 for a season you were not able to fellowship with one another and, and worship with one another. And the spiritual exile entail, entails the loss of one's awareness of God's involvement in their lives. The physical exile of the Jewish people included the loss of personal freedoms as well as freedoms as a nation. As Americans, we cannot take our freedoms for granted. King Solomon referred to the Egyptian exile as the Iron Furnace. In 1 Kings 8.51, he says, For they are thy people and thy heritage, which thou didst bring out of Egypt from the midst of the Iron Furnace. And the coming of the sons of Israel into Egypt demonstrate that they knew who they were in God. In exile, the, the Israelites actualized their ability to overcome the darkness and gave meaning to their pain. Also meaning that they learn how to give light into their arcs. Because your body is a type of ark. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And even as the children of Israel emerged victorious from the Egyptian exile, you too will emerge victorious from the tribulations in your life. So we should not live our lives trying to avoid trials, trying to avoid tribulations, but we should welcome the tribulations that the Holy Spirit has ordained for us to go through and through these personal exiles in our lives that we will emerge stronger and, and, and more spiritual than ever before. And for the Jewish people, and the reason why I keep referring back to the Jewish people than, than, than speaking prophetically into your lives in the present tense as well, is that the Everything that a Jewish people went through provides a prophetic blueprint for our lives today. Amen. So nothing is written in God's word just to provide us with history, but everything is written in God's word to, to show us the way to walk in destiny. And it provides us with a blueprint. And even in my life, I mean, I, I, for anything I do, especially in areas of design in my workplace, I look for blueprints. I look for a blueprint to follow. And in life, whether in, in, in spiritually or in the natural, I look to God's word to provide me with a blueprint to live my life. Even in regards to finding my wife, the Holy Spirit showed me in his word the blueprint for, for my marriage. So I, I encourage you to trust God in everything and look for the blueprint to your current situation in God's word. And for the Jewish people, as the spiritual and physical exiles intensified, the Jews were forced to confront their identities. And some gave in to the simulation. Many struggled to retain their Jewish identity, but they emerged victorious. They emerged victorious by keeping their Jewish names and their Hebrew language. In some ways, they did assimilate into the, into the Egyptian culture. But the two things that God acknowledges them for and praises them for is that they kept their names, their Hebrew names, 
and they kept their Hebrew language. So they, they strengthened that which remained. Likewise, the church of Jesus is being tested to, to strengthen that which remains. As we see in Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, and Jesus says to this church here, Awake and strengthen what remains and is on the point of death. For I have not found your works perfect in the sight of my God. And I want you to know that, I mean, all, I believe many of us have lost things. We've lost territory during this pandemic. But I encourage you that during this time and through this prophetic word, that you will allow the Holy Spirit to show you that which in your life needs to be strengthened. And some of us are just hanging on by a thread. But I just encourage you just to hang on and strengthen that which remains, especially your love for Jesus. Amen. And during this Christmas season, we are renewing our love for Jesus. The Christ child Jesus, who was incarnate in the womb of the Virgin Mary, who of his own will, the word of God chose to, who chose of his own will, submitted to the will of, the, of his heavenly father and chose to become the spotless lamb the Lamb of God sacrificed before the foundations of the world. And and of his own free will, he chose to become conceived in the womb of Mary and chose to live a spotless life as a spotless lamb and chose to offer his life as a ransom to redeem us from destruction. And I want to talk about a name for a moment. A person's name connotates one's purpose in life. And the Hebrew word, for name is the word Shem. The Hebrew word for the for the for the word soul is Neshama. And if you strip off the first letter and the last letter of the word Neshama in Hebrew, you are left with the word Shem again, which means name. And that teaches us that the very essence of our souls is our names. And this te- and the word Shem is also re- related to another Hebrew word, which is the word Shamama which means desolation. And we are designed to take the darkness and despair of exile and give it meaning, give it value and direction. And I want you to know that God's going to use the painful experiences in your life. It may be a divorce. It may be a sickness. It may be some situation that you cannot control. But God will, God will cause you to emerge victorious through the, these painful situations. And he will cause you to arise to your highest potential in Christ Jesus. And God raised up Moses or Moshe to help the Jewish people realize their potential and to emerge victorious from Egyptian exile. Likewise, God the Father sent his son, Jesus, the son of God, to help the Jewish people realize their highest potential in him. And and Jesus had is come. Jesus has been given the name above all names. Jesus has been given the Shem above all names. Philippians 2.9 teaches us, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. And God has promised you a name as well. And it, we learn in Revelation 2.17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone which no man knows except him who receives it. 
It's very interesting that this language sounds very similar to the language that we see in the book of Exodus. For example, we see Jesus promising hidden manna to him that overcomes. Hidden manna, we see manna in the book of Exodus. The Jews were sustained in the wilderness for 40 years with the manna that fell down from heaven. And then God, Jesus also promises a white stone to the overcomers in Revelation. And, and in the book of Exodus, on the high priest's breastplate, we see, we see the stones, the stones of Revelation. And then it says, a new name written on the stone, which no man knows except him who receives it. And just as God promised the Jewish people a destiny, a purpose, a high calling in him, God the Son has promised you a high calling in him. And he has promised you a destiny. And he, and he has promised purpose in your pain, purpose in your affliction. And, and the suffering which is short-lived for a short time is, is, gonna, is going to benefit you with eternal rewards. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5 and verse 12 read, He who conquers shall be clad thus in white garments. And I will not blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Verse 12, he who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and on my own new name. And, and Matthew emphasizes names in the infancy narrative of Jesus. And what, what you're going to see throughout this entire 11-week teaching series is the emphasis on names, the emphasis on light in your ark. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, 23, and 25 read, And she will bear a son. Speaking about Mary will bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. But she, and verse 25, but she knew, but knew her not until she had born a son. And he called his name Jesus. And Jesus is the name above every other name. Jesus has the name that's above affliction the name that's above sickness, the name that's above disease, that's above pandemic. There is no name in the earth, below the earth, or in the heavens that is higher than the name of Jesus. God the Father has given his Son, the Word of God, the name Jesus, the name Emmanuel, which is the name of way above any name. Amen. And now I want to speak to you about the increasing levels of affliction the increasing levels of affliction was the secret to increase. Amen. I'm going to read that again. The increasing levels of affliction was the secret to increase. And in the midst of the persecution, in the midst of the trials, in the midst of the fire, the children of Israel were fruitful and they multiplied. Exodus chapter 1 verse 7 reads, But the descendants of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them according to the rashi the 10th century comment a rabbinic commentator from france says 
Their wives gave birth to six children at one time. According to another commentator, the Ramban, he says this was a supernatural phenomenon. And within a 210-year period, the Jewish population rose to an astonishing 2.5 million people. And there were 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. There were 600,000 men present at the foot of Mount Sinai at the giving of the Ten Commandments. But the entire population of Jewish people, including the, the women, the children, the men was a total of 2.5 million. And this was absolutely supernatural. And, and while Pharaoh put the Jewish people under cruel subjugation and even ordered the murdering of the newborn males in order to decrease the population, the very opposite happened by divine intervention. And what took place? A new king arose. And in Exodus 1.8, we read, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And there are different opinions about who this new king was, because how could the Egyptian king not know who Joseph was? Because Joseph was a viceroy over Egypt. He was second in command. He saved not only Egypt, but the, but the entire region from extermination through famine. And so there's, how could this new king, whether he was the same person or not, how could he not know who Joseph was and what Joseph did for the Jewish people and for the entire nation of Egypt? And one, one opinion is that this new king was a, monarch, was, a, was a monarch of a new dynasty. The other opinion was that he, this, it was the same king that just chose to not appreciate what Joseph had done for them. And the king had a change of heart. And that's really the opinion I accept as well, that the king had a change of heart. And look at what this king does. Look at what Pharaoh does. I mean, he's just brilliant in his strategy to, 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 to really to oppress the Jewish people. And in Exodus chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it reads, And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war befall us, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. See, Pharaoh and his advisors proceed in a very cautious manner so that the Jews would not realize their in true intentions. And they, implant, they implemented their plans very strategically in stages. And the same plan was applied by Hitler to subjugate the Jewish people. And so what did Pharaoh do first? First, he, he imposed special duties upon the Jewish people that were frequently performed. Next, he secretly ordered the, the Hebrew midwives to kill all the newborn males before the mothers had a chance to realize what was happening. Lastly, the Egyptians were ordered to down all the Jewish males or uh, to throw all the Jewish males into the Nile River. And the advisors of Pharaoh during this time, according to the rabbinic opinion, were Job, Jethro, and Balaam, three figures that we're very familiar with. Job, we have an entire book dedicated to Job. And Job is probably the, the oldest text in the entire Bible. Then we have Jethro, who was the father-in-law of Moses. And we have Balaam, who was a wicked sorcerer and a false prophet. 
And Jethro, we learn, fled from Pharaoh. Balaam was also a descendant of Abraham, who was really the mortal enemy of the Jewish people throughout his life, even before the birth of Pharaoh. And in the 130th year after the arrival of Israel into Egypt, Pharaoh had a, and this is from a rabbinic commentary, Pharaoh had had a disturbing dream in which he saw his kingdom, he saw his kingdom's downfall brought about by a single lamb. Now, this is very interesting. This is not in Christian commentary. This is in Jewish commentary. And according to this commentary, Pharaoh had a dream in which he saw his his kingdom, the Egyptian kingdom, have a downfall through a single lamb. And, And you know what? Jesus is the spotless lamb slain before the foundation of the world. That's one of his titles. And we read about the spotless lamb in much detail in the book of Revelation. And so what did Pharaoh do? He called for Balaam and the two other members of of his royal council to advise him. Balaam explained that the savior of the Jews would be born shortly and would one day destroy Egypt. When asked what steps could be taken to avoid this calamity, Balaam replied, if you wish to destroy the Jewish people by fire, you will not succeed because their God rescued Abraham from the fiery furnace. If you attempt to destroy them through slavery and hardship, you will not succeed because Jacob was enslaved by Laban and grew, grew prosperous from the servitude. You have one last resort to decree that the sons of the Jews be drowned. Water is the only element of danger which their ancestors never confronted. And this was the advice from, of Balaam to Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Pharaoh accepted Balaam's suggestion, but nevertheless, Moses survived, having been saved from drowning by Pharaoh's daughter, Batia. And Pharaoh's attempt to wear out the Jewish people physically by, by inflicting them with exhausting task of building cities and probably pyramids too. Exodus 1.11 says, Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. And verse 12 tells us, But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread, of the people of Israel. The Egyptians discovered that their hardships did not produce the desired effect. For the more they afflicted the Israelites, the more they multiplied. The, the, Egyptians, could not, the Egyptians could not extinguish the light of the Jewish people. Next, Pharaoh increased their labor by allowing, by allowing the Egyptians to force Jews to do any type of work, or any type of work. Exodus 1, 13 and 14 read, So they made the people of Israel serve with rigor, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. And in, and in all their work, they made them serve with rigor. And what took place here was even a more cruel form of subjugation because they became common laborers and they were subjected to crushing harshness. And however, even though they were beaten, they were poorly fed 
and were treated and they were treated as common slaves, their numbers continued to increase at an extraordinary rate. And the type of labor they, they, they began to, to perform here was a labor that had no meaningless purpose. For example, imagine if your job was to dig a hole every single day for eight hours, and at the end of your shift, you, you just filled that hole back up with the same dirt that you dug up the entire day. And the next day, you do the same thing. And the day after, you do the same thing. Im imagine how that would affect you mentally being subjugated to a labor that has no meaningful product. And it's exactly how Pharaoh, in his brilliant strategy to, to subjugate the Jews, to where they even mentally they 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 had no self value because there was no purpose in that labor they could not look on their accomplishments because there was no accomplishment and that was the final strategy that was the final step in the type of labor he subjected them to and even in your life as well is is because work is a is a, is very much a part of your life and without meaningful work without fulfilling work imagine how you would feel. And that's exactly what Pharaoh did is that he, he subjugated them to meaningless labor, a labor that would provide no personal benefit, no satisfaction. And the Egyptians enslaved the children of Israel with crushing hardness. And the Rashi provides a literal interpretation to the subjugation. And he says, hard labor, which crushes and shatters the body. And the, the Rambam cites the Midrash, which says, work which is useless and tedious. And it's harsh because there's no sense of accomplishment. And it was at this very time, in this very season, that Miriam was born. And Miriam, translated into English, is the, is the name Mary. And it's not a surprise that the name of the mother of Jesus, the woman chosen to be the ark bearer for the Son of God, is Mary, and in Hebrew, her name is Miriam. And the name Miriam is derived from the Hebrew word meaning bitter. And you can imagine the bitterness of the Jewish people because the name Miriam represents the cruel subjugation that the Jewish people were experiencing. And next, he secretly, you know, we, 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 we read how every Jewish newborn male was to be thrown into the Nile, but Miriam, the sister of Moses, and the mother of M Moses did not obey Pharaoh's edict, and they refused to throw the male children into the Nile. And the girls were being murdered in a different sense. The, the, the males were to be drowned into the Nile, according to Pharaoh's commandment. The, the girls were to be murdered in a different way. They were to be murdered spiritually by making them live in an Egyptian lifestyle and by indoctrin indoctrinating them into the perverse lifestyle in Egypt. But the secret to the Jewish increase, to the Jewish population's increase, was God's glory because God's glory will bring increase and God's glory, will, which is the light of Christ, the glory of God, will cause you to increase and to multiply and to be fruitful even through the most cruel subjugations of life. And per Maharal, the divine blessing increases in proportion to physical weakness. And this is an important principle 
not only in Israel's existence, but it's, just, but it's also a very important principle in your life as well. Amen? In your life as well, the secret to your increase is the glory of God. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And the power of Christ resting upon you is the power of Christ resting upon your ark. And God's grace is sufficient for you and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Amen. His his strength is made perfect. And that's the secret to your increase is trusting in him, trusting in your glory and let there be light in your ark. Don't let, don't let COVID-19, don't let the cruelty and the harshness of life extinguish your light. Let there always be light in your ark, just as, as there was light in that manger, which is a type of ark, in, in the stable in Bethlehem. Let there be light in your ark as well. And let God's divine blessings rest upon you, because your outward circumstances do not define the light. It's God's glory through his word that his light will shine through you. And this is an important principle in Israel's existence, and it's an important principle in your existence as well. Its destiny is a, your destiny is being manifest through the hardness of life, through the difficulties, through the afflictions. And Israel is sustained by God's direct intervention, by his intimate involvement in their lives and god is intimately involved with your lives as well and he's not only your spiritual strength he's your physical strength he's your emotional strength as well and let's come back to the infancy narrative and let's look at what herod did herod being a type of pharaoh and we read in matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 16 a fairly lengthy reading here and i'll, and I'll read this to you now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Imagine this, that these strange visitors, and they were not only three wise men, they may have been hundreds of, of wise men. But when, but when this multitude of people came to Herod and they asked Herod, where is, where is this child? Where is this Jewish child who has been born king of the Jews? Can you imagine the fear that came into Herod? And, 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 the, and the wise men say, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will govern my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, 
Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, for I too may come and worship him. When they had heard the king, they went their way, and lo, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he arose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill the word of the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, was in a furious rage. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and older, according to the time which had been ascertained from the wise men. Again, that's from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And what I want to point out here is there are several parallels between the infancy narratives of Jesus and Moses. And one thing I want to point out initially here is Jesus was the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Son of God. And, and God the Father sent him to be born according to the prophecies. And we see Moses, who was born in Egypt as a deliverer for the Jewish people to, to, to not only deliver the Jewish people out of Egyptian slavery, and also to deliver them into a new covenant, to become a nation of kings and priests unto God. And that was, that was what Jesus' role as well, because his ministry was to the Jewish people and was to raise up the Jewish people. And the glory of God shined when Jesus was born, and the glory of God shined when, when Moses was born. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it reads, and, the, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were filled with fear. So we see the light. We see the light that shone. Let there be light in the ark. And the light that shone was the light of Christ Jesus. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 2, it reads, Then the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And according to the Talmud, at the time Moses was born, the whole house was filled with light. For it is written here, and she saw him that he was good. And elsewhere it is written, and God saw the light that it was good. And the teaching here is that the glory of God shone when Moses was born. And even in the creation, God says it, it was good. And in the infancy narrative of Exodus, it says he was a goodly child. And we learn 
here that let there be light. We see the light in, Mos in Moses' birth, and we see the light in the birth of Christ Jesus. And in addition, both Moses and Jesus had to be hidden from their respective kings because both kings, being Pharaoh and Herod, respectively wanted to, king, uh, wanted to kill Moses and Jesus. And both Moses and Jesus were the deliverers of their people. Herod sought to kill Jesus, as we see in Matthew 2.13. And now when they had departed, behold an, angel, uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there till I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And Pharaoh sought to kill Jesus, Exodus 1.22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And the rabbinic commentator known as Arashi from 10th century France said, he said that the day Moses was born, Pharaoh's astrologers told him that the Jewish Messiah had been born. And what we learn is that both, both children, both Moses and Jesus, were destined to be the saviors of the Jewish people in their respective generations. And when we study the life of Moses, which we are going to do for the next 10 weeks in this 11-week series, you're going to see many parallels between Moses and Jesus. Because Moses was the deliverer that was to deliver the Jewish people from Egyptian slavery. And Moses was a man that was raised outside of slavery, who was raised in the king's palace, who came to realize who he was in God and how God raised him up to not only deliver the Jewish people out of the physical slavery of Egypt, but then his, his, his task was to remove Egypt from their emotional and spiritual DNA to get, because getting out of physical Egypt is much easier than getting Egypt out of one's emotional and spiritual makeup. And then he, he was called to, to redeem them and to redeem them to become God's chosen people at the foot of Mount Sinai where Israel became a nation, amen? And, and, they, and they became the holders of God's covenant and they became a nation of kings and priests to God. And Jesus, we see Jesus first as the deliverer of the Jewish people and the second as the redeemer for the entire world, including the entire Gentile population of the world. But salvation is for the Jew first, then for the Greek. Jew meaning the Jewish people, Greek meaning the Gentiles. And over these next several weeks, I encourage you to come to realize who you are in God, come to realize who you are in Christ Jesus, and to know that you are called to become a nation of kings and priests to God and know that God's glory rests upon you. And I just pray that Christ has been born in you in your hearts today and that you really come to appreciate the Christ child that was laid in a manger in the stable because Jesus is the light of the world. He's, he is your light. And my prayer is that even as Jesus was placed into the manger, which is a type of ark, that you just place your lives into Christ Jesus, that you place your lives into the living ark, 
who is Christ Jesus, the Messiah. And may you experience the fullness of his light during this Christmas season. And Heavenly Father, tonight, I just pray that you that your power will rest upon everyone today. And Lord, I pray that you will arise with healing in your wings. And Lord, I pray that your light will shine amongst every single person that's watching and listening to this broadcast. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. God bless you all, and I'll see you all next week.